up. 20 yards That is a jewel from Tim Cahill has done it again. What a goal by Tim Cahill. Thompson. On Halftime, the world game with Carlos Alberto Diego from Fordiegos.com. For auction your car, car auction this Saturday. Always great to catch up with Carlos. Had some issues last week. I'm hoping it hasn't uh, stuck around. Carlos, g'day. Absolutely, um, 100%. Uh, there we go. You are the voice. I tell you what, I got more um, feedback on my performance last week than I ever have on this show in the, <laughs> ever since you debuted many years ago. Well, we were concerned about your welfare. i tell you what. We weren't sure you were going to get through, Carlos. You know, it's one of those ones where you go into a game and you feel, you're carrying something into the game, <laughs> right? And by the end of it, your career's over <laughs> because everything's falling apart. You know, if, if this was a, if I had, if we had a, like a, a cheer squad here and my wife, my wife and kids would be booing me right now. They would have been. Yes, that's how bad it was. But uh, I'm but glad I'm glad. And, oh, I, by the way, I appreciate the. Uh, courageous. The, the, oh, you said I was courageous, but I, I, yeah, courageous, I'd like to mate. keep that lid on that. But there's a lot of people uh, with a lot of comments last week and uh, I'm glad that they endured the hour. But anyway. Well, we haven't got uh, uh, Gus Mercurio with us this afternoon. We don't. Who are the other names they threw at Terry you? Wallace. Terry Wallace. <laughs> I was listening to Terry the other day. I'm kind of hoping that uh, he sounds better than what I did. <laughs> yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah, he did. <laughs> he absolutely does. Hey, 17 days to go, Carlos. 17 days to go. Are you starting to get excited? I, I was excited a while. In fact, I got yeah, really I got nervous. Spring in my in my, in my pants. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> uh, the other night, even before the game, I'm sitting there. It was a you know a, a kissing your sister practice match before they. It's a farewell game, uh, and we'll talk about the importance of that and and you know where, how, how we've done in those uh, games before. But I was just sitting there before the game, and I'm really nervous already. You know, so. Uh, it, but it's it's an expectation where you're hoping something positive will come by the end of the World Cup, that we've learned something, that we've been courageous over there. Uh, I'm really hoping that that uh, is the situation. Uh, and the, so the nerves are, are good nerves rather than uh, what we've had, what I experienced in 2006 and also 2010, where there's a little bit of expectation there. Yeah. With this one, I'm not expecting a lot, but I... I desperately want this this uh, group of players who will be at you know ten year Socceroos. I really desperately want them to get something positive out of this World Cup. Let's talk about uh, that squad and their performance the other night in a second. Just go through. Let's go through the the three guys that were cut from the initial thirty man squad. Curtis Good, obviously with that mm. injury, um, it kept him out, which is a bit of a shame because chances are he probably would have been a walk up start. Uh, so Adam Sarota and Josh Berlante, uh, they're the ones that missed out. For Sarota and, and Berlante, what's what's the experience taught them? Do you reckon? Well, Sorotto, I think he's been a he's been a, in and around the squad for a while. In fact, I think he was even in the ex- two caps, has he? Yeah, yeah. But he's, he was in the extended squad in two thousand and ten too. So he's highly rated. He's an indigenous footballer who's now playing in Holland. Uh, had, a, had he's been out for a year with a knee reconstruction. Came back and played fifteen games for Utrecht uh, towards the end of the year in the Dutch league. I mean, they're a first division club, Eredivisie club in in Holland, uh, and played regularly when he was available. So highly rated and uh, obviously. 
obviously for being for, to be picked in the previous squad under Verbeek, also in the extended squad, you know, they've always kept an eye on him. And I think of Tommy Orr, uh, Jason Davidson, even when Michael Zula was over there, I think everyone really was waiting for uh, Adam Sorota to come good. But with the new reconstruction, he just wasn't ready. And uh, it was a great little article that I read today about his response to that and how he felt uh, about Andrew's uh, decision. And he sort of said, I understand what the coaches had to do. Uh, it's hurting me a lot, but I understand it. So that's a real maturity. Uh, they have a lot of faith and, and respect for Ange Postacoglu. And Ange probably said, listen, mate, go and, go and get yourself a pre-season. Yeah. Come good. And you're going to be in the mix for Asian Cup. So, you, you know, you're young enough to be able to play a couple of World Cups. So just get yourself right. So there's a lot of uh, understanding and, and trust there, I think, between the player and coach. Um, what about uh, Josh Berlante? Mate, he's, he's a kid that I'm, I can't wait to... Uh, you know, for him to break through. He, he played really well in the World Youth uh, Cup for Australia. He's played really well for Newcastle Jets. He's a young man who, uh, if you saw him play for the Young Socceroos in the previous World Cup, he had the big beard. He had the Ned Kelly beard on. Yeah, he's like 18 years old and he's like... Running, running the beard. Unbelievable. And uh, so he was became quite well known for that, but he's sort of shaved down all that stuff. And now he's just uh, a normal-looking 20-year-old. Uh, and uh, he... Uh, you know, he, he's just a guy I think they brought in for experience. They've, they they rate him highly, uh, but more probably looking towards Asian Cup and beyond. And, of course, Curtis Good, you know, chances are he probably would have started in the middle of defence. Uh, he had a fantastic debut against Ecuador and went off injured, you know, when we played them months ago mm. and went back to his club and he just uh, the hip flexor never came good and there's some complications to it. Uh, apparently they jabbed it on the you know, when he came bit into the um, into the camp. Uh, things were looking okay, but just one training manoeuvre just it went again, and they just knew that it, it, you know they'd be really forcing it, and he wouldn't be ready anyway. So it's sad for Curtis. I think he's he's a, he's a huge blow for us. I think. Uh, yeah, I think in the middle of defence, his speed, his ability in the air, his ability on the ball, I think is really important for Ange Postacoglu's system of play. Yep. Uh, and he's really done the hard yards. Been an impressive performer in the in the junior international, uh, you know, competitions over the years. Captain, he's you know the, the young Australian sides that he's been part of. Uh, big rap at Melbourne Heart when he was there. Newcastle United signed him on a six year deal as a as an 18, 19 year old. So I mean, like big raps there. So uh, I think that's a huge blow for us. Even though he's only played one game, I think uh, he's one guy that we could have used over there. When uh, you consider, and we'll talk about the game on, on Monday night, the um some of the defensive issues the Socceroos seem to have on, on Monday night, that a player of that calibre, of that elk, of, and, and leadership, clearly, if he's the captain of the younger teams in the national competitions, um, that's going to leave a bit of a hole. What did you make of the game the other night, Carlos? Been a bit of feedback on a substandard pitch for mine. Uh, what did you make of the game itself? Yeah, I think we've got to put it all in perspective. I mean, I, you know, I came in here you know, ready to have a crack at some guy for writing a, an article that had the word insipid in the headline, but I was trying to find it and I don't think it's there. But uh, okay, making words up, Carlos. Yeah, I know, I know. Story. I was all set to have a you know have a rant about something, but uh, I, I I I wonder about the commentary about the game. You know, people are talking about how they've lost you know any faith they had after the the performance against South Africa. They've lost it all, and I, I just don't understand that at all. If you look at the phase of training this team's been in, uh, ten days of uh, double sessions a day. Uh, there were a young side, four players pulled out before the, just before the game, and they were named in the, squ in the, in the first 11. Bresciano, there was Spiranovic, and Yedinak were three of them. Um, and, you know, uh, the ground, you talked about the ground, all these things. And, of course, they sound like excuses. But when we're talking about a team that's really uh, been deprived of match time together, everything is really, really important if you're looking for them to be 
preparing well for this first game against Chile in not so long, in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah. So, you know, um, I thought it was a decent performance given the circumstances and given the fact that when has an Australian side played well in any of the fa- farewell games? The previous against uh, New Zealand in 2010, we didn't particularly play well in that game. Uh, and uh, before that against Greece, we won 1-0, but it certainly wasn't a great performance by the Socceroos because they're in that phase of really heavy load training. They did set the tire absolutely, in the half dramatically, absolutely. And, and some of the Which words from the, from, the, from the players in the camp were they were just running up and down on the spot in the second half there. So... I don't know. Maybe we're a bit tough on, on on this squad, but my worry about the squad is that we won't have enough games to get them in prime, prime shape before that first game against Chile. USA have got three games between now and their first game. Three free friendlies against uh, international opposition. England play Peru this Friday, and I think they've got another two games leading into their first game. We've had one. We've got to have... We play th- Croatia, don't we? Yeah, we play Croatia. And then we've got a. a, I think we play. Yeah, I think we play a you know a local club team. Yeah. uh, When we first get there on June the second, and then we play Croatia on June the sixth or the seventh, I believe. So they're they're our games now. Just the extra game at that level there for a young team, especially trying to learn and, and perfect the system of play that Andrew's trying to you know, instill into these guys, is really, really important. Every moment in match practice is really, really important. You can train as much as you want, but games are really important. And I don't know if we're going to have enough of those. That's what worries me the most. Not the talent we've got out there, not the coach, but just the, the fact that we won't have enough game time to really perfect what we're trying to do. Just a word on, on the pitch, Carlos. There's been a lot of commentary on the pitch the other night. I understand it's uh, New South Wales government putting in a bit of money to get the Socceroos there for these type of games. But when do the FFA need to step in and say, well, hang on a minute. This is it. These are our showcase boys. And we've, we're going to a World Cup. I'd be, I'd be happy. We'd be happy to see 40,000 at the SFS or the SCG if they're going to play it in Sydney rather than playing on a, a cow paddock in the middle of nowhere. Well, the FFA have got to be in a position to say, well, we don't care about the money. Because the, the reason why it was played there is because the New South Wales government, uh, you know, uh, they, they were prepared to pay the most money for it. There's, there would be no other reason for it. If Victoria came up and said, no, we, we'll pay the most money for this, they would have played it here. So one, when the FFA don't need to worry about money, that's when they can start making a, a, a position, you know, stance about these sort of things. Um, but how much money don't they get a big whack from? Didn't we talk about this last week about the World Cup? The fact that they get a big whack from from FIFA for being a part of the World Cup. Oh yeah, but I, I suppose they want. How much make... are they going to get? How much will they've got? You reckon? Oh, for that game. For that game oh, the other night. I, I, don't, there a I don't, park, ne- I don't uh, negotiate these things. Surely you're involved. I'm, I'm sure that uh, there's some people from Victorian major events, if it's still going, if that's still yeah, going, tweet still through right. some figures for us about what the match fee would have been for the FFA because I think uh, given that we talked about the other day the fact they don't have a naming rights sponsor, they probably haven't milked this for all they can get. Uh, they need to go with the biggest bidder, and while they can, they'll, they'll probably it's probably not a priority for them to worry about on what sort of pitch they're playing on. I reckon if you've got your best squad out there, I mean, the last thing you would want to see now, it doesn't happen very often, but put players put in a position where it's unsafe because of the state of the pitch for a few dollars. I mean, if you lose, say you lose Tim Cale mm. in, in a friendly before you go as a farewell match because of the state of the pitch. I mean, you can't put a price on that for the Socceroos mm. at a World Cup. I agree. I agree. Uh, obviously, the the money side of it's still very important to the to the national body, and uh, there, there would. I mean, if 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 South Australia came up with the money, they would have been playing it there. I, I, I'm pretty sure it was a commercial uh, decision, and uh, they have 
you know, bids for these sort of games, and uh, New South Wales obviously won the bid. Well, I'm okay with the Adelaide Oval. Somebody suggests off the SMS mm. bidding for the next one and play it there. That'd be fantastic at the Adelaide Oval on the lights. The Socceroos are off to Brazil this afternoon. They may even be on the big jumbo. I'm not quite sure, but I saw some photos on Twitter before. The boys are relaxing in the Qantas Lounge there up in Sydney getting ready. I reckon they might turn left too, Carlos. <laughs> I reckon they might turn left on the way to Brazil. At least business class, at least. And, uh, and I don't know. The, at least. The, look. Are they are they floating mattresses in when you go left these days? Because that's what Josh Kennedy's demanding. <laughs> I'm not sure. Josh Kennedy's demanding that. Oh well, you know, he's a baby giraffe and he's had back problems, so he wants to lie horizontal for the whole time. I, I want to talk to you about Josh Kennedy just in a mm. second. Just the news of the day in world of AFL is that Greg Swan has alerted us to the fact that he won't be there after the next month, and um, we know Stephen Kernahan's on the way out as well. So big changes at the Blues. Just going to have a quick grab from Greg Swan, who's just spoken to the Blues website. I've just felt after seven and a half years that you know that it's time for me to sort of look for new challenges. I probably I had roughly the same period at Collingwood, and then I moved on. And maybe it's the seven-year itch. I don't know, but it's uh, it's something that um, the time's right for me, and and it probably fits in with the club as well because you know there's a new regime coming in. So there he is. So more on that through the news fix, but uh, he's called. Time to move on. Says Greg Swan from the Blues. Carlos. Um you mentioned Josh Kennedy there, and I was talking to Jonathan Howcroft yesterday about how what it's going to look like with Ange and his formation and his personnel within that style. Can you? And we were discussing whether or not you could play Kennedy and Kale on the pitch at the same time. Is that going to happen? I, I don't believe it can. I, I'm not the national team coach, but I can't. But you're the half time coach. Yeah, I am, and uh, and I would be very surprised if you played a double prong with uh, Tim <laughs> Kale and uh, and Josh, a double gir- baby giraffe prong, basically. <laughs> With uh, with uh, Josh up there with uh, Tim, if if they're both on the field, Timmy will be playing maybe in behind Josh, floating as a midfielder, uh, and and he does he does sort of come back and and sort of join in the midfield at different times if he's not getting much of the ball. But I think uh, as I said to you weeks ago, I'll be really fascinated about what Ange Postecoglou does by way of formation, how he wants to. To, to sort of set out and how he's going to respond to how the other team's going because mm. there's no way the game is going to pan out or look like it did the other night where we had all the ball and we're pressing the opposition in their own half. It's not going to happen uh, against Chile, against uh, Holland or Spain. It may happen in small stanzas of the game, mm. but for not for very long. The other side's got to have the bulk of the possession and we have to be very compact uh, almost to be dropping down back to the halfway line, and so there's very few spaces Are in between our lines. Parking? Are we parking buses? No, no, I don't think we can park. There's very different from dropping to the halfway line and parking buses yeah. where you defend on the edge of your box. Yeah. I think you've got to, the the bulk of our defending has to be around the mid part of the ground. Uh, you have to be very compact, and because these sides won't go over the top a lot, they play on the ground. You know, and you know they they, they won't bypass their midfield often. The odd pass might. Uh, your best chance is to battle it out in that middle park and have your numbers in there. Yeah. And uh, I, I believe that's going to be interesting because I've not seen Ange Postecoglou coach that before. But I think if he's a realist, uh, where this group is right now, he needs to be able to work out that sort of strategy. And then when we win possession, break with speed. And if you're breaking with speed, the Leckies, the Hallorans, these sort of players, the Tommy Ors are going to be really valuable. But the likes of Timmy Cale and Josh Kennedy, uh, I don't know, if you're going to play that defensive game, I'm not sure whether they're going to add too much to you when we don't have the ball. So you may even see Timmy and Josh start off the bench with these sort of games. And if you're going to get a result, you throw them on late, you know, later and you know, kick things into the mixer 
and hopefully they'll get their head to something. But uh, you, you may see Timmy and, and Josh not starting games because of that reason. Yeah, you mentioned Tommy Orr there. Um, significant performance the other night, particularly in the first half for the Aussies and really was one of the main reasons we mm. looked like we are going to score just about every time we got anywhere near the, the penalty box. But didn't happen uh, for him or for his teammates until Timmy Cale had that fortunate header go through yeah, um, after we conceded the goal. But he was terrific. Is this the making of Tommy Orr? Yeah, he's even admitted himself as his best performance uh, in an Australian shirt. And uh, he just also, he sort of even sort of intimated that he loves playing under Ange Postacoglu. Ange, of course, had him there before he went to Holland, yep. uh, up there at Brisbane Raw. So uh, he was on fire. We saw a bit of it against Ecuador too, half in that first half, where he suddenly, you know, with the, with the older blokes moving on, He's now feeling really at home. I thought at times when, when the old brigade was there and they were bringing him in, he also, was almost a bit sort of stymied and, and maybe suffocated with what he could do and what he can't do. But now that they're all gone, he probably feels like a bit of a leader amongst the young guys. And he played like that. So he's got to be a – for me, it, it's an extra bonus because I didn't expect Tommy to play so well or be ready for a World Cup. So he might shine over there. Uh, and, and the likes with, uh, on that left-hand side, our very own, uh, half-time's half very time. own, uh, Jason Davidson had a great game the he other was night. Good, wasn't so he? Yeah. I thought he was really good. Uh, the way he supported uh, Tommy Orr, the way he got beyond him and got some crosses in, the goal came from a Jason Davidson cross. So uh, He was overlapping yeah. a lot, wasn't he, he down was. the left-hand side? Is that something that will happen during the World Cup or was that just uh, a bit of a playtime on a farewell game? I think... You know, it's it's more difficult to mark a player coming from behind the lines uh, the way the the overlapping fullbacks come along. So yep. I think Ange will really encourage it, but encourage it at the right time and make sure that if one of the fullbacks go, whether it's Frenich, whether it's Wilkshire or whether it's uh, Davidson, that there will be cover behind all the time. A lot of work has to be done to that because ultimately people criticised the back four the other night, but the reason why we considered that goal and looked a bit shaky at times because one pass put three of our midfields out of the game and suddenly we're isolated mm. where you know it might be two on three or even two on two. And uh, so it's not necessarily the centre halves and the full backs that were a problem. It's a, the fact that we probably turned over a ball in the wrong situation. James Holland did it when we considered the goal. And suddenly we're all out of position and one ball basically Breaks eliminates yeah, basically eliminates all our midfield and suddenly it's one on ones in the back uh, in the back sort of line. Yeah. And uh, you get players like uh you know, some of those Spanish players, some of the Chileans or the Dutch one-on-one with our defenders, I know who I'd back. Good luck. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Uh, just going back to a point you raised before about the, the style of Spain and Holland and Chile to a lesser degree and the way that they'll dominate the game of possession and we'll have to sit back to the halfway line as opposed to pressing up into their, their territory. Uh, it, it raises a point about a philosophical point from, from a coaching point of view for Ange Postacoglu and he's been pretty vocal in suggesting that uh, he wants to get the team to play a certain way, mm. but when you come up against these caliber of this caliber of opposition, do you have to do you coach to counter their style, or do you coach to continue the development with your style? And if you just get reamed on the way out, then that's just bad luck. I think you have to be versatile. You have to be able to adapt to a situation. Now, if you feel that you're a chance, uh, you you coach your team and you give them instructions to to do a full. Full press of the opposition, but I think when you know that you're up against Chile, if you've done your homework, anyone who knows anything about world football know that Chile are dynamic with ball at feet. They share the ball. It's all short passing, mm. typical South American way of playing. We've seen Spain. I mean, they've been the world champions. I mean, you, you know, if you have, if you don't know how Spain play, you, you're sort of not even living on this planet. And the Dutch just love the ball at feet too. So uh, to go in thinking that. 
you know, especially a young side where you're trying to instill a style of play, which takes ages to really to, to perfect. Yeah. For you to go into a game and say, we're going to play our own style to hell with the opposition against this level of opposition, it's suicide. So what Ange has to do is also be very versatile here and make sure that not park the bus necessarily because that's almost uh, that's almost a ticket to the disaster too. Yeah, we don't do that very well. No, we don't do it very well. We've not, never been coached. It's not our style of playing. But especially if you make it difficult in the middle of the park with a team that uh, with an opposition wants the ball and, and interchange of passes, ball at feet the whole time, they don't want to hit anything over the top. You, you make you scrap in that middle of the park. You really uh, deny space and get twos on ones everywhere. So it's a bit of gang tackling everywhere. If you do that with some hard work, suddenly that's your best chance. And by the way, you're closer to your own goal if it breaks down and if you've got enough pace in your team uh, and you and you coach the blokes well enough to be able to support the guy on the ball, suddenly you could get a breakaway goal too. So I think that's probably, for me, uh, given that uh, I haven't coached the Australian side in a World Cup. You're a bit stiff there, I reckon. Yeah, I know. For, for me, that, that's the way to go. And, I, and I'd be very surprised if Ange Postacoglu didn't go that way. As if I, I, I'd also be very, very surprised if he, if he started to park the bus deliberately because that's not a way that I've ever seen him coach. I don't think uh, it's a way that you know we'll, we'll even have a chance to score a goal if we do that. We've got to do all our hard work in the middle of the park and make it really combative in there. Interesting thing. Interesting times for the Socceroos and for all the fans of Australian football getting ready for the World Cup. 17 days to go. We cannot wait till the Socceroos take on Chile in game number one. Carlos will be there too. I couldn't be more jealous if I tried. Just before we get on to Pablo and Bendigo, who's given us a call, Carlos, um, how will we be referee officiated in the World Cup? Because on Monday night, Crazer raises a good point. It's only 50 for 25,000 SMSs too. It's an unbelievable record, Crazer. <laughs> uh, we ha- at one stage, I think it was 11 to nil. Yep. Um, freeze or penalty. What do they call them? Um, uh, free kicks. Free kicks, yeah. Yep. Uh, against us, against mm. South Africa. Mm. We are pretty physical and we had seemed to attack that number 10 dude who yep. was, was pretty good for them. But are we going to be penalised more harshly through the World Cup if we continue those sort of antics? Yeah, the, the international referees don't like it that way, but I can't see... If we're going to be competitive and, and a bit physical, you're going to get, in world football, you're going to get uh, smart players for Chile, for for the for the Dutch, and also for the, for Spain who are going to throw themselves to the ground and they're going yeah, to... Yeah, that's right. And and we could lose... Look, if, it goes, if we go down to 10 men, any chance of winning a game is gone against that level of competition. So we've got to be careful about that. But it's that fine line. You want to be absolutely aggressive. On the line, yeah. Yeah, you want to be really pressing. You want to be able to you know, make sure you're doing your best. And uh, really, uh, you know, if you're talking about that gang-tackling type intensity, it's going to get physical. But you get, you're playing against players who... Can, uh, experts at milking free kicks and getting people sent off. Mm. So it is a danger and, uh, and it's a real worry, but I'd rather us go very, and be really combative that way than sit back and allow these teams to play because, you know, 10 men and lose 2-0 to 6-0 because we've gone thrashed and embarrassed. Yeah. Uh, that's, I'd rather go the other way where we're just absolutely in people's faces because uh, that's what these guys need to do, really, to try and put the opposition off their off their game. Because, by the way, you know, there's a big chance that the the Chileans or the or the Spanish or the Dutch could get some someone sent off too if it be get if it becomes very physical too, which is going to be clever. Psych uh, out, psych out. It is. It's a lot of this uh, mind game stuff that happens too. Right, uh, get me in there. I can play that game. Pablo's in Bendigo. G'day, Pablo. Brilliant. G'day, guys. Brilliant stuff there. Uh, just for Carlos here. You, you know the. Um 
when Mark Schwarzer, uh, he retired from internationals, um, I just thought, obviously, it wasn't a coincidence because uh, when Ange was announced coach, uh, Schwarzer uh, retired soon after, if I recall. And also, I mean, he just played Champions League semi-final, uh, EPL. He should be there. So, please, uh, um, please just don't try and sweep it under the carpet. Mm. There's an issue between Schwarzer and Ange, isn't there? There must be, because it wasn't a coincidence he retired when he did. Yeah, I agree, uh, Pablo. I think uh, maybe Mark Swartzer saw the writing on the wall. I think a lot of these guys who have uh, been legends of the game, and I think Mark Mark Swartzer, from the from an Australian perspective, is a legend of football. Uh, maybe some of them uh, just don't want to be retired by someone else. They want to make their own decision. And I, I felt that maybe the climate at the time, the, the, a lot of talk about a lot of the older guys being not picked for the Socceroos. Maybe Mark Swartzer came out and thought, well, I think I'll make my own decision here rather than have someone else make the decision for me. Uh, and perhaps he, he went a bit early. I don't know. It's one of those ones where he could have hung in there and in the end, Lucas Neal hung in there and in the end probably didn't look, didn't probably do his uh, his uh, reputation too much good by the fact that he hung in there and hung in there and changed clubs and and in the end didn't retire before it all happened. So, you know, you, you weigh it up. Mark Swartz has done it with class in the end, uh, but I half suspect that Mark Swartz wanted to get in before Ange Postacoglu. And uh, but you know, was that the right decision? I don't know. I, maybe maybe there was a conversation between Postacoglu and Swartz uh, to say that uh, he's going to be given. You know the likes of Langerak and Ryan more of a go, and maybe that was interpreted by Swartzer as thinking that uh, well, my my position here is really uh, not something that's certain, so I'm not prepared to play under that circumstances. So because he was basically a short of a position under Verbeek uh, and also Osik, mm. so um, Ange Postecoglou was obviously not going to assure him of that. And uh, perhaps he felt that it's better for him to make the decision rather than someone else. Pablo, thanks for getting involved. Two bottles of 2010 Clean Skin Tasters Choice Red and White coming your way thanks to our property investments. And I'll throw in SEN's Inside Footy on top of that. Uh, John's in Mooney Ponds. G'day, John. Yeah, hi, how are you? Good, well. What's going on there, Johnny? Yeah. Um, I, I don't agree. I don't agree with Pablo. Right I... Because I just think that the... Uh, I don't agree with the smell of it. Sorry, mate. Yeah, I... Yeah. Sorry. What's going on there, Johnny? Yes, yes, sorry, Mum, there. So the shop yeah. you're running. <laughs> yeah, um, I, you know, I, I don't agree with Pablo because I, I just find that uh, he uh, said, you know, those who play, those who uh, week in, week out will play. I mean, uh, I just I find that the, uh, the golden generation have become a little bit... Uh, are sensitive in the last few uh, few months, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm disappointed that uh, Harry Kill wasn't there on Monday. Um, you know, I just, yeah, I, I think uh, the work that um, Sasha Olganovsky uh, d- did with uh, Foxtel wasn't, uh, you, you could see a lot of sour grapes there as well. Uh, yeah, I'm just... Yeah. Yeah, John, there is There's this a bad taste in mouth, Yeah, John. there is this uh school of thought that maybe the so-called golden generation uh there's a sense of entitlement about that group. And, yeah, I think uh, that's valid. and uh, you know, and maybe it's the way they're portrayed in the media, but I mean they, they they're the ones who are being quoted and they're the ones who are behaving the way they do. 
uh, that's what I, I don't know why that happens. Maybe it's a sense of the fact that, oh, look, I'm playing overseas. I'm in a big club like Chelsea. Uh, you know, I'm playing in the EPL or whatever it may be. I should be respected for that. And uh, when A-League players are making the squad before me because they're playing and I'm not, well, I'm, not, I'm being disrespected. Well, Ange Postacoglu's got to do a job. And uh, he made it very, very clear what the criteria was. Uh, you need to be playing, you need to be playing well. And I think he stuck pretty true to that, except for the maybe Mark Bresciano and maybe Tommy Rogic. They were two probably exceptions, but the rest of it, he's been pretty true to it. I don't think we're going to get any better if we had Schwarzer in goal in Brazil or if we had Lucas Neal in the team. I think uh, that's what, how he's weighted up and he's made his decision. And um, yeah, look, the perception of the, of the golden generation having that sense of entitlement, well, I don't know. Uh, some people might argue against that too saying that they weren't treated with respect. But I think that we've got to move on now. It's a, it's a moot point, really. Let's get on with uh, Brazil. Carlos, uh, the local scene. Uh, any transfer rumours? There's one off uh, the SMS from Anonymous saying, fact, not rumour, boys. Melbourne Victory speaking to Carl Valeri and were approached by Carlos's agent to come back. Yeah. Mm. Any uh, feedback on that, Carlos? Well, I suppose it's a different coach, uh, with Carlos Hernandez in that uh, he left when Ernie Merrick was there. Uh, actually, what's, no, I, I think he stayed with one of the, remember Durakovic yeah, for a I while. Yeah, and he left, it was a bit of a shambles there at the time. And, you know, uh, Carlos has problems paying at his best, even when it's a professional environment. So uh, so when uh, it's a bit dysfunctional, he's not going to do very well at all, even though he did very, very well uh, at Wellington Phoenix uh, and he was playing for a World Cup spot with Costa Rica, and in the end, he's, he was selected for Costa Rica to go to the World Cup. So I think his agents probably said, well, he's, he's in good form. He's going to a World Cup. Uh, a, a current World Cup player is probably worth more in the markets. So let's throw it all out there. You know, Australia, let's go back to, let's go to the MLS. Let's go maybe back to Costa Rica. Let's just see where we can get a, a good deal. Because he did go to India, remember? Yes. And uh, that was a, on a very lucrative deal. Things didn't work out over there. So he's probably sort of, when you're a bit of a journeyman, I think you look for the best deal all the time. It wouldn't be surprising if, if that was thrown out again. But the Carl Valeri one makes a lot of sense. He needs to, if he wants to play for Australia. Uh, like uh, Carl Valeri these days? Oh, he's, he's late 20s now, I think. Uh, maybe early 30s. And, uh, but he's a terrific player, but he's just been crueled by injury over in Italy. Uh, but he's well-respected. He uh, probably would have been in the squad if he was playing regularly in Italian football. And uh, he's a guy that probably hasn't given up on playing more games for Australia. And as uh, James Troisi has shown, you come back, you play regularly, you're under the, the nose of the national coach, uh, and, uh, and you can be selected. And uh, Asian Cup's coming up. That's a big, big tournament we're expected to go well in. You might be thinking of coming back for that. Uh, that'll help him. Uh, and the other one, I think uh, you raised with me a bit earlier. He's thirty in August, by the way. Carl, yeah, you found out. Yeah, the uh, the the talk about Josh, Josh Kennedy. Kennedy. Well, somebody yeah. texted before. Yeah. Any news on Josh Kennedy signing for Melbourne Heart? Wouldn't surprise Melbourne me. City, it'll be, of it course. wouldn't surprise me because uh, they still have that opening for the either Australian marquee and international marquee. Uh, we know that they're cashed up these days, and we know that uh, they want to make a big uh, noise. And he's a He's Aubrey Wodonga boy, but people see him as a Vict- Victorian. I reckon I've seen him at school. I reckon I've seen. I reckon there's a young Kennedy boy in yeah? my boy's school. Well, that's a dead giveaway that something's on the move, that something's happening to a family. 
Uh, it's not often a, a footballer, an Australian footballer, will go overseas and, and play without his family. I know we saw it with Harry Kuehl. Uh, leaving his family behind in England when he was playing in Turkey, but it's very rare that the family doesn't come with them. And uh, I know that he's still playing in Japan, uh, but if his family's back finish? here, so what was that when's their season finish? Uh, well, it's, it's, I think it's I think it's going right now. I think. Uh, well, look, I, I can't. I don't have the Japanese thing in front Why of me. Why not? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the J League. I apologise to our J League fans. Not sure whether it's still going, but I know some of the leagues in like the Korean league. I think still going. Uh, so some of the leagues in Asia are still going right, right. now. Okay. So uh, maybe the J League is too. But uh, I think if the family is has moved back to Australia, the chances are he may be looking at coming back very, very soon. He'd be highly uh, sought after, wouldn't he? And he would be. And I think Melbourne Victory, if uh, if they didn't know before what our conversation today, will be certainly on the phone to, uh, I think his player agent is John Grimold, a very well-known player agent, and they'd be inundating him at the moment. And he wouldn't be a good player manager if he didn't start pitting teams against each other also. Correct. And, uh, and I know Johnny is a very good player manager, so... Mm. Well, if you've got two teams in town, you've, all of a sudden you've got a bidding war. Absolutely. Yeah, it's where you want to be, and you've yeah. got two teams there. It's a perfect place. And he's, he's still scoring, almost for fun, in Japan. Almost for, for fun. fun. He's still scoring with a bit of a smile on his face over there. And uh, so if he's scoring in, in J-League football, and he's playing in a team that can really service him well, because it's not all about him doing aerial stuff and hitting the ball in for goals. He scores a lot of goals with his feet in Japan. And if uh, if he has a team that plays on the deck the way John Van Skip wants them to play, and I think Kevin Musket showed at times that they're very much a ball-playing side, uh, he'll score heaps of goals in the in the A-League here. So I think it'd be a fantastic signing if they can get him. Carlos, I was watching the other night the final of the Asian Champions League from the women's, Japan v. the Matildas. Yep. Good fight by the Matildas. Had our chances early, but went down 1-0 ultimately. This is against the World Champions by the way, Japan won the World Cup uh, last time round, and uh, they're going into favourites into the next World Cup. I think it's in Canada, um, and uh, it was a really good performance by the girls. They're a young team, of course, uh, off the back of the uh, allegations of player power that ousted Histerine uh, Larousse. I think the uh, previous. Uh, Matilda's coach, uh, who was chased out of her job apparently by the by the girls, who uh, they felt that she was too much of a disciplinarian. That might be unfair on the girls, but that they're the rumours that are going around. Right. So they had to really make sure that they came out and played really well to show that there wasn't a problem with them. It was a problem with the coach, and they have. And they made the final, lost one nil, had their chances, as you, as you know. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they develop from now. A good young side that's moved on a lot of the older players, so it'll be good to see what that, what's going to happen next. It's uh, bad luck to them, but they put up a good fight. The reigning ACL champions went down to the reigning world champions, so that's probably fair enough.